0: Welcome to Muse Views, the podcast for the Muse community about the Muse community. Muse is a nonprofit education networking group for users of the Meditech electronic health record system. Here on our podcast, we chat with healthcare IT folks about ideas, opportunities, strategies, and solutions to improve work life experiences and share views you can use. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, TJ Temple, and I would like to thank you for joining us today. I'm very excited about today's podcast as I have the pleasure of visiting with a familiar name among the Muse community and a personal role model of mine. Joel Benware is the CIO at Samaritan Medical Center located in Watertown, New York. One of the many reasons I look up to Joel is his unique perspective he brings to his role in leveraging technology to tackle complex healthcare issues and enable caregivers to keep full attention on the patient. The Muse community was blessed to have Joel facilitate the Executive Institute Conference this year. I've heard nothing but positive reviews of the event. Please join me in welcoming my friend, Joel Benware. Joel, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks so much, TJ. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Joel, tell us a little bit more about Samaritan, the organization, and the IT team there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a great team. I've had the privilege of joining this team last March, so I'm just a few weeks under my first year anniversary here. I was able to come at a very interesting time, obviously, as all healthcare organizations are dealing with the COVID pandemic. This organization had a security incident that they had to go through for months prior to my arrival. So coming in, it was very much a rebuilding effort and, you know, re-strengthening a team that was tired, both from fighting a pandemic and also a security incidents. So it was a good time to come in and join the team and kind of revitalize and refocus our efforts on security on EMRs, on serving our customers, on finding new way to deliver healthcare, leveraging technology. So but a pretty exciting first year here in Watertown. We're a small IT team, about 25 people. We are a fairly large organization for this part of Northern New York. We have about 3,000 employees in our organization, about 4,000 users on the network. And we just come in every day and do what we can to leverage the tools that we have and try to keep systems up and running, help out our providers and our clinical teams provide the best healthcare possible.
0: Great. Thanks, Joel. Let's pick up a little bit on your kind of first week there. So after you've gotten over that crisis of security nature, is there anything that your team majorly learned out of that or any major changes you made to make sure that doesn't happen again in your second week?
1: Yeah. Well, it wasn't my first week. I joined in March of last year. I interviewed the previous November and they were just getting out of that security incident. I know the organization learned a lot from it, both how they're applying their resources, what they're focusing on, and constantly educating the staff you know i've always said we can have the best defense in depth and all the greatest and latest boxes out for security and services but your staff are your greatest benefits to security but also your greatest threats to security so you've got to keep your workforce educated on the threats that they could experience and they seem harmless at the time that it's just a harmless little email that comes in and if someone clicks on the wrong link it can unleash havoc so constantly educating your workforce and that becomes harder in this age of the great resignation when healthcare workers are turning over so quickly. If you've got an organization of 20, 25, 30% turnover, you know, constantly educating that staff on those security threats is a real time-consuming effort. So you can't let up on that. And it's something you have to stay after constantly.
0: You may not know since it was kind of, you know, you were at the tail end of it, but was the the root cause of this breach, was it it an employee in this case? Do you know? Did it come from an email link or do you know what the root cause was? Uh, We can't
1: say for sure. There was some thoughts that it was a link that caused it. There was a lot of forensics done and, and all that stuff. And I don't know if I've ever heard the full story of how, but that's what we're educating to mostly, making sure we secure the perimeter and the perimeter changes. Healthcare perimeter changed last year as we were trying to deliver telehealth and having more remote workers and all that. So what you're protecting has changed. So it changed my focus as a CIO of how much we used to try to protect our data center. And now it's how quickly can I leverage the cloud and cloud resources and different vendors that can help us in that effort. So it changed the perimeter. There is no perimeter. You know, We have to control the home office just as much as we can the
0: local hospital office now. So
1: it's really changed our approach to security.
0: Yeah, really interesting. So education is the key there for sure. Like you said, it never stops and there's a new vector every single day of someone coming in and you know, and the emails look different and and it's a constant challenge for sure. Talk a little bit about being in New York. You know, you have a probably unique perspective of the COVID pandemic and talk a little bit about how that's impacted your team, what you've done as a team to to respond to that pandemic and and things you've done to help your organization kind of manage that.
1: Well, I kind of came in at an interesting time. I interviewed in November of twenty twenty and they were seeing a spike in COVID at that time, and then through the winter, and then I joined this organization formally in March of 2021, and things seemed to be sliding down, deescalating throughout that summer. And then this fall, we hit new peaks. So we were going into Thanksgiving, Christmas holiday time at higher peak levels than the previous year prior to the holidays. So we were watching the numbers pretty darn closely to make sure, you know, we would have enough bed capacity that we could help out our fellow clinicians through that. And we did. So the peak hit, it didn't get higher than it did last year thankfully, but we were at some pretty dangerous levels there for a while that we were quite concerned about. And then maintaining a workforce throughout it all with the COVID protocols, you know, anybody that had what used to be thought to be a simple cold, now those were COVID symptoms and had to work from home or change. And of course, employees with daycare issues or schooling issues or things like that. So just maintaining a workforce throughout that has been a real
0: challenge. Do you remember what those peak numbers were? I mean, what was your high kind of census? Do you remember for COVID patients?
1: Yeah, I want to say we were in the high 20s, low 30 area there. So you can imagine that takes up a lot of hospital beds, and a lot of resources. And then, of course, the strategies that we used in our emergency department that you would have patients sick and either they knew they were COVID positive or coming in to find out if they were COVID positive. So backing up the emergency department was a real trick as well. And then we serve a mental health population here. And it's interesting when you have mental health beds with COVID-positive patients and the extra precautions that need to be taken there. And it affected all areas of the hospital, our maternity ward, you know, pregnant moms coming in with COVID and stuff like that. So made you think of new ways of having to treat and care for the patients and required additional staffing all the way around.
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds like you guys did pretty well in supporting that process. It's such a hard thing to get through. You know, you mentioned OB. I remember a picture online I saw of a hospital of family members looking through the window outside the hospital, standing in the grass oh. just to see the newborn. I mean, it's just such oh. a weird dynamic and, you know, those things that you take for granted and then missing out on the birth of a baby or, you know, getting to see a, a passing loved one or something like that is such a. And I think we're at an interesting
1: point with that right now. I mean, you know, we're recording this mid February 2022. So we're about two years into this pandemic. I can remember two years previously, I was serving in Vermont. And basically, March 1st is when things started to break there. And we were standing up incident command and trying to figure out how many hospital beds we'd need, ICU beds, all that stuff. And that was a much smaller organization that was trying to grasp what was coming our way. I remember our first calls were to the morgues and to the funeral departments to figure out what their capacity was. And I look back at that chaotic time of we didn't know what we were fighting. And how much we've learned in the last two years. And I know politics got involved and everybody had opinions about vaccines and all that stuff, but back then there wasn't a vaccine. There wasn't any opportunity to understand what it was you were fighting. So it was kind of shadow boxing a ghost there for a long time. And I think as a healthcare organization, as a, as an industry, we really need to look back at how much we learned in the last two years. And now of a COVID patient walk through the door, it's not the mass hysteria it was two years ago. You know, there's just a better understanding of the disease, how it's treated, how it's spread. Not that we know everything by any means, and uh, we can argue the protocols and the precautions that we've all taken. And yeah, certainly some of them were absurd for a while, but we have to take precautions in healthcare. We have to treat the community. We've just learned so much over the last two years. A massive accelerator for technology in healthcare over the last two years that we've all talked about at multiple meetings and conferences. So I don't want to say that's the benefit of a pandemic like this, but it's a been a massive accelerator for the use of technology in healthcare. And we found new ways to treat patients.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And convinced government and regulatory bodies and others that this stuff actually can work. You know, oh. we kind of forced their hand to say, this telehealth does work or this, you know, this remote monitoring does work, or people can work from home and those sort of things. Exactly. So it's interesting. Yeah, and Speaking
1: it's worked for years. We just never had a reason to apply it with such focus as we've done the last two years.
0: Right, exactly. You said you, you know, you had to support remote work. Did you have any departments within your organization that actually went completely remote, like your billing office? Was it 100 remote or anything? Oh, really?
1: Yeah, probably not 100 remote, but certain days at home, and it, it, in many cases, doubled the amount of equipment we needed to deploy and licensing and hardware and all that. So you had to figure out what days people were going to be in the office and what days they were home and how many licenses you'd have. So we had to learn to juggle that and adjust budgets to facilitate the needs. Like I said, someone could be intending to work from the office and find out either they've tested positive for COVID, they have symptoms, or they have a childcare need and need to work from home. So I think it's taught organizations to be flexible and meet the needs of the
0: employee. Yeah, well said. You wrapped it up really nicely there. And what we need to do is just take this historical time and learn from it, you know, and implement these new things that we've been allowed to implement and realize how we can do this better next time and, and maybe, you know, be a little more prepared, so. Yeah, you know,
1: we're still in the throes of it for sure. We are seeing some signs of a decline currently, the current variation, uh, but we haven't had a chance to catch our breath. I don't know of a lot of organizations, groups like ACHE or Muse or other things that just had a chance to sit down and debrief of what we've done so far. It just happens so quickly. And every day, every week, you're just adapting to what's hitting you that week. But, uh, you know, in those quiet moments at home at night, you can kind of reflect, of how much we've learned and how much has changed over two years and how much more we are able to fight this battle now. Like I said, two years ago, you didn't even know what you were fighting. And I remember doctors walking into conference rooms when we probably shouldn't have been grouping together to figure out how we're going to fight this thing. And, you know, we're wiping down doorknobs and everybody was scared. It was just so weird to think back of those early, early days, all appropriate. You didn't know, you didn't know what you didn't know. So it's great right now that you, know, you and I can even have this conversation on something like this video conferencing. And it seems so natural to us now. Exactly. Where two years ago, this would have been very awkward.
0: Yeah, exactly. You told us about your IT team. Let's talk a little bit about your EHR environment. What are you currently running as your main EHR? Do you have any ancillary or EHR systems and, and kind of what's your plan with uh, that moving forward? Yeah, all of the
1: above, TJ. So this is the third hospital I've had the privilege of serving at as a CIO. My first hospital, we were running Meditech Magic. My second hospital, we were on 6.0, and we brought that organization to Expanse. And now my third hospital here, I joined this organization. They're on client server, and their goal is to get to Expanse. And I was brought in to help lead that team. So we have been studying the path forward for the past 11 months. And obviously, COVID has taken us off that track or slowed that track down as the organization didn't think we were ready to move forward as we had to focus on other things, which was quite appropriate. And I'm kind of pleased that we did because new opportunities, new options have shown up for us, even in the Meditech Expanse environment. I've been studying and watching other organizations that went with Meditech as a service, and I'm pleased to report that other organizations our size, 290 to 350 better organizations are looking at Meditech as a service. And that goes to our previous comments of, are we defending a data center now, or is the data center in the cloud? And we're, we're broadening our horizons in that. I'm very much interested in now looking at cloud options, especially after we've had a security incident here, where our EMR was affected by a security incident. Our backups were affected by it. We had to deal with ransomware attackers and that whole thing. I don't think you're ever completely out of the woods by going to the cloud, and it does open up new options or new concerns. But I think those private and public cloud-hosted sites offer better security options. So we're certainly looking at that. So it's given me the opportunity to study other hospitals that have gone with Mass or have gone with the private cloud options. So I'm actually studying both of those right now. And it's been interesting to lead our teams through that and what's best for our organization. We haven't quite honestly selected yet. So we're still looking at private cloud or the Mass option.
0: Right. Interesting how much of the consideration for moving to cloud either mass or just cloud is around staffing i know that it's very difficult to find staffing you know in covid anyway but a lot of these cloud vendors are you know paying more than hospitals can pay and they're grabbing up the elite resources if you want to call it that and you know it's it's hard to find resources for for a hospital your size or even smaller especially smaller, you know, to pay a network administrator or a system administrator when they could sit from home and make double working for one of these organizations. So how do you weigh that with your team?
1: Well, it's certainly a consideration. we're a very lean IT team going into this. And when you look at the requirements of any new EMR and, you know, the other brands, the other vendors that are out there, and our hospital did go through that exploratory phase of looking at is Meditech Expanse the best option for us. And we did look at the other vendors. and. Yes, we think Meditech Expanse is still the right product and the right vendor for us. They've been great partners for 20 plus years. We have staff that know that system. Our biggest problem and what I've talked to any CEO about is our issue is defensive depth. It's one person in every direction. You know, I've got one person that knows lab ITS or one person that knows network security or that. So you lose that one person and the whole system kind of gets crippled pretty quickly. So absolutely, a cloud vendor is certainly appealing to us in that In that manner, I look at just the struggles we've had in the past year just to do Windows patching of our Meditech servers and coordinating that downtime and having the right skill set on site. And if you do that in the middle of the night, you've got a team on from 1am to 4am or 5am in the morning. Great. What are you doing the next day when business is happening? And you've just worn your team out. They've worked all night. You had your A team working on the overnight shift. So we're just that lean in all directions. So we need to leverage our vendor community partners. And there's plenty of good ones out there. And we've done it in the past. I'm doing it now on our Windows patching for our MetaTech servers. And that's why we're looking at these cloud hosted solutions
0: moving forward as well. I'm assuming you're going to want to bring in as much into that unified EHR as you can. Do you guys have something different in the ED now or are there any outstanding departments that are kind of on their own that are that it will be a big move to move them into expanse?
1: Yeah, great question. In our ED, we have to move our organization forward because this organization is not invested in the EMR largely in the last few years. Our ED is largely paper-based right now. Our ambulatory settings have two or three different EMRs. Our behavioral health has a separate EMR. We're needing to get our anesthesia group up on electronic systems as well. So yeah, this is not just an upgrade of client server to Expanse. This is a consolidation of five different EMRs and the upgrading of very manual processes to automated computer-based processes. So it's a culture shift for this organization. And that's probably my bigger concern than the technology piece of it, is getting that cultural buy-in from everybody. Although we've spent a lot of time demoing with Meditech and some of the consulting vendors that have come in and helped us, and we've got an organization ripe for change. They know we need to move forward. And I think gone are the days of the providers or some of your clinical staff that always wanted to hold back and stay on the old system. At least now I've got an organization that says, we've got to move forward. We know we, we don't have a strategic approach supporting five different EMRs. And it's no one's fault. Organizations grow this way when they take over different physician practices and you just grow organically over the years. You know, this, this happens. You have to draw a line in the sand and say, on this day, we're going to go forward with this product. And we're going to change the way we do business. But we've been able to settle in the last few years with a lot of manual processes. So we're going to study workflows this spring and summer and figure out where do we need to stop going to paper and where can we keep things electronic.
0: You know, you said something there that was very key, having been through a a CS to expanse conversion, upgrade, whatever you want to call it, you got to treat it like a new implementation. Like you said, you got to get culture engaged. You can't, it's not a priority pack update, it's a major especially when you're bringing in other EHRs that have never been either electronic to begin with or on a separate platform. So you've got the right approach and you hit some key points there about engagement and culture and treating the project with the depth and scope that it really is and not just assuming it's just a little upgrade on the same vendor. It's not.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's not, yeah. Yeah. It's a complete rebuild and it's a cultural shift. And we've been in the CIO roles for for quite a few years. And as much as you wanna say, this is not an IT project, it often falls back into an IT project. So it's important that we work on that culture now and get the buy-in. So we've got a pretty effective IT steering committee here that we restarted last spring when I arrived. This spring, we're starting up with a physician committee that's going to help lead us. And I want this to be clinically driven, that we have clinical benchmarks that we're going to watch and measure to say, regardless of what the tool is, what clinical benchmarks can we improve by using this new tool? So I want to make sure we keep that frame in there. And also the revenue cycle. I think we've got a lot of opportunities there to improve our revenue cycle through automation and leveraging some of the tools that didn't exist in older platforms that we can start to work on. Because every day for the last uh, you know, nine, 10 months that I've been here, I get calls pretty much daily, if not weekly, that a certain department wants to have a new interface to something. And I say, I want it too, but I don't want to spend the time or money building an interface on a 21-year-old EMR we've got to save that and put that in the list that we're going to add to the new system. So that's all very exciting to me. We just got to line up the resources and the timeline to get that all done.
0: Yeah, one thing too, that you should concentrate on, which I'm sure you are, but a team your size with the number of users you have, you've got to set that culture too that our project is expanse, and that's what we're going to work on. And how do you keep these other bubble up projects off your team, off your organization, even if it's not an IT project, and it's something that's pulling them away from focus, you know, you got to be careful of those as well. And because it really does take a full engagement from everybody from the ground up. So
1: yeah, I want to have a very structured governance committee on that. You know, I've heard the line, the urgent can take you away from the priority. And I see that happen a lot that every day, something's on fire that needs to be fixed. And that's the urgent, but it may not be the priority that you need to be focused on. So we really got to make sure we've got teams assigned to who's taking care of the urgent stuff and who's taking care of the priority stuff, and. They can be one and the same, but they can also be very differently. And that takes you off course from what your plan is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Joel, as you think about, you know, pulling all these different systems into one EMR, what's your thoughts on legacy data? Have you, have you considered anything there? You know, from what I've seen, there's kind of two schools of thought. There's a, a legacy vendor that really looks pretty for physicians. Mm-hmm. And then there's a legacy vendor that's really just data archiving for legal and medical records purposes, that's probably not as pretty, but sometimes is more budget-friendly and easier to manage and that sort of thing. So what have you thought about there and how you're going to approach that with your team?
1: Yeah, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this literally over the last two to three years. At the last hospital I served at, this came back to bite us pretty hard on the ambulatory side, where we merged data from two different EMRs into Meditech ambulatory, we had vendors that we worked with that could leverage technology and convert this data. And there was a technical uh, success in that. But there wasn't a human level success when the providers and the clinicians got into the chart, it didn't tell the patient story. So somewhere through that data, you know, interchange going to expanse, they couldn't find the patient's story or their vaccine status, their history of their blood levels or whatever. And so when you lose that patient's story, it doesn't matter if it was a technical success. So we can't afford to have that happen again. And the problem is you don't get to know that until it happens, until you convert the data. You don't get to see it in advance as much as there's testing and all that. The clinical teams, the IT teams that need to be involved in it, you don't get a preview of it really before go-live and the clock's ticking pretty fast when you started to convert that data. We're going to study that closely here. I don't want to give out exactly what we're doing yet because we're still talking with a lot of vendors in that space. I have budgeted for a lot more nursing help to help us with chart prep that we can look in the old system, that we can look in the new system. And if we have to key certain data elements across and whatever we can convert, we will. But we're going to invest a lot more in chart prep than I did in my last organization. And that's no fault to anybody. You don't know until you're in the throes of it and what you need to do. And uh, this has happened to so many organizations across the country. So it's good that we get out there and talk as a Muse community and as a CIO community of how each other's are handling it and what works and what doesn't. And what works for one organization doesn't always work for another organization. What was interesting as we're on that topic, I talked to a lot of providers in the last few months. They want to move to expanse. That's not the issue. Staffing becomes an issue. They're saying, we're having such a hard time staffing our clinics now just to keep the doors open. Where are you going to find the extra staff to do this chart prep and data verification, all this stuff that you're talking about? And it's a good argument. It's one we're going to have to tackle that even if we can financially afford the budget to pull that off, can we find the right skilled resources to get that done?
0: Wow, yeah, that's an interesting uh, thing I hadn't thought about, especially in the middle of COVID. You know? Yeah. Wow starting up your physician committee your pack or whatever you're going to call it you know there may be a value in having a subcommittee of that committee just to look at conversion you know exactly i've seen organizations make a decision to not bring anything over because it's just a mess and it's just you know garbage in garbage out type thing. so initially at least organizations i've been part of when you ask what do the providers need they say i need everything from when that child was when this 40 year old was a baby but then in reality, they probably don't look back more than a month or something. So, sure. you know, finding that happy medium, like you talked about, and Meditech has done a good job with their historical look back feature, you know, for anything that was in client server, but right. with your other EHRs, it's, it's going to be a struggle for sure.
1: Yeah. Yep. Especially if you didn't own those EHRs from the inception of them, like I said, when you buy out a physician's practice and they were using a certain EMR and you take over that license and start paying the fees of it. And so you don't know the origins that I, how it was originally set up. And you deal with compliance issues and all that stuff. So yeah, I think in those cases, we're really going to look at that patient as a new chart moving forward and we'll key over what we can, or just take a snapshot of those previous vendors and not try to convert that data. Like I said, we, we worked really hard at that and no fault to anybody in my last organization, we worked really hard at that and it looked like a technical success, but when you lose the patient story, that's the ballgame.
0: Yeah, Exactly. You know, it's interesting when you look at converting these vendors or sunsetting them or whatever, they take every opportunity. Nothing gets a vendor community, but you know there's all these hidden fees or proprietary data sets that some vendors will just download into a PDF and you can throw it on a file share somewhere and you're all set. Other ones, it's some proprietary thing and you have to keep a license so that you can access that data. And they're not really um, too open to share those things until, like you said, it's crunch time and sure. you've got to figure out what to do. So. You know, and, and vendor-neutral archives are, are the way to go, but that, that all that still weighs into those decisions and, and the cost. And and when you go to administration and say, hey, we're going to keep all this data, but it's going to cost us this much to keep it, that doesn't compute, you know? Yes. <laughs> this those are good sense, points. Really. What I've
1: noticed just being at the Muse Executive Institute, being having studied this for the last year or so, how many more vendors are into this archive solution options? And they're all vendors I trust. You only get to pick one of them, you know, with the budget, try to figure out how you're going to align with certain partners to get this done. And there's just so many more options than what we had just three or four years ago, because I think this has become a bigger issue that organizations have realized. And Meditech has probably realized, you know, you're not just upgrading from Meditech to Meditech, especially with the ambulatory piece of it, you're bringing in other vendors and there's no one right way or one wrong way to do it. There's There's a hundred right ways and probably a million wrong ways to do it. So you really got to study your vendor community and trust your partners on this and ultimately make the decision for yourself. Like you say, when you ask the doctors, they want everything. And it seems like the right answer. I'm not criticizing them. Yeah. If I had my choice, I want everything. and I want it to look exactly right. And I want it to be perfect. Well, you may not get it that way. So now we have to make some harder choices.
0: So Joel, as we, as we kind of move into wrapping up here. I wanted to pull out something that I've noticed that you do at conferences, if anybody's been able to either see you as a facilitator or being in a meeting with you, you have this skill to to listen to a presenter. And then when you come up to transition speakers or whatever, you do this nice summation. I don't know how you do it, but you say, here are the four things I heard from TJ's speech and that really highlighted me. And then you build on those. I'm just curious, is that something that you learned from a professor in college or where did you get that? I've stolen it and I I give you credit. I say, I'm going to Joel Benware this. And then I do those actions. But tell me about how that came about and how you developed that skill.
1: Thank you for sharing that. Um, it's certainly a skill I learned from my previous CEO, uh, Jill Barry bowen She was a wonderful mentor and still a great friend. And uh, it's an active listening technique, and it keeps me engaged in meetings and sessions. We have too many distractions these days, and if someone's up there talking, it's too easy to grab your phone and flip through social media or something or start doing email or something like that. So just by finding those keywords at key times that people are using, it helps me remember what they're talking about. And I found that if I refresh that after the end of someone gives a speech, it gets the other members in the room talking just to bring out the highlights of this is what I heard. What did you hear? That's funny you bring that up. So thank you for mentioning that. And again, my mentor on that was Jill Berry Bowen. And we used to do that at uh, hospital retreats where we bring in guest speakers or if any of us just got up and spoke throughout the day, she had a wonderful way of taking an eight-hour retreat in the last 45 minutes. It was kind of an emotional time when she would just bring out highlights from the day. And it was a great way to leave a long day where you've heard so much good stuff, but you can't digest it all. You just had some nice talking points as you walked out the door and it helps lead you into the next day to actually apply what you've heard into your work. So thanks for bringing that up. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for for turning me on to that, and thank your CEO for doing <laughs> well, it. And what a message that sends to the room! You know, when your CEO gets up and surmises everything like that, not only does it show that they were engaged, and and but then you know what they thought was important too, so you can take that away. You know, I think that's how many meetings have we set in and you leave and you're like, well, there went an hour of my life or or eight hours of my life, and nothing yeah. changed, and there was no takeaways. You know,
1: it's a great way to put the human element into anything we do too. So you could be up there talking about. A cyber ransomware attack. But maybe someone talks about, I had to find daycare for my children so I could come into the hospital to work. The daycare might be the key word at the key time that you need to remember that if you're going through that, don't just think you can put your thumb down on your employees and say, I need everybody in right now to work. You got child care to worry about. You might have to worry about taking care of an elderly parent or a furnace that went out or some other human element that you got to make sure you're taking care of the, the whole person there and not just your employee. So that skill set has helped me, I think, hopefully be a better manager to my employees, that there's a human element to that. And I think we're seeing that more and more now through COVID, that people want to come in, they want to work, they want to do the right thing, but there's a human element of the rules say, I've got a, a cough or a sniffle and I can't be in the building today, but I still yeah. want to work. Right. Okay. How can we make that happen? So that, that's a pretty cool thing that I've been able to pick up over the years. I'm glad uh, you're getting it as well, but it may, may not be the technical word someone says it may be childcare, and I think that's an interesting human element to that.
0: Yeah, that's great. So I'd like to end all the podcasts by asking my guests if there's anything personally and professionally they're enjoying, whether it's a podcast, a book, a YouTube channel, a, you know, a webinar, or something like that. So anything that you've got on your plate that you're enjoying?
1: Gosh, I've been a follower of Scott Galloway for the last couple of years. Uh, he wrote the book, The Four. He writes a lot of books. He does a podcast called Pivot, and it's a lot about the technology industry and just has an interesting way of seeing the world. He's an NYU professor, so I'll give a shout out to Professor Galloway. I listen to a lot of his stuff. He's got a great comic relief and uh, snarky sense to him. I listen to a lot of Ed Marks stuff. He's a fellow CIO, and uh, he puts out a lot of good content as well. A book I recently read was The Four Agreements. I'll give a shout out to that book. I had an interesting transition the last couple of years of changing jobs, and um, to figure out what worked for one job and what worked for the other job, what works is I got to be true to myself. I got to be true to my word. You got to be careful of accepting praise. You also have to be careful of accepting criticism. If you're just true to yourself, bring the best version of you forward each day, and that's all you can do. And everything else is just static in the background. So that's really helped me in the last couple of months of just having a vision of how I want to be perceived as a leader and be focused on getting the job done. So I'll give a shout out to the four agreements.
0: Awesome. Well, well, thanks so much for your time, Joel. You know, it's very refreshing to talk to a CIO like you. We get to interact with lots of CIOs, you know, through Muse or through other organizations. And some CIOs can be pretty cold and pretty technical. And, you know, let's get the servers up and going and let's but one thing that, you know, I've always noticed about you and I appreciate is that human element that you just mentioned. You know, you always look out for your team and you you draw it back to the patient. And I think we need more of that in healthcare. So I, I appreciate you for taking time out of your busy day and and sharing your thoughts with the Muse community.
1: Absolutely, my pleasure. And it's it's great that we're starting to get back in person or even find ways like this to talk to each other. Because as much as you've been complimenting me, you were a mentor of mine when I first started going to Muse events. I always wanted to know what was on TJ's mind because I thought you brought a great perspective to things. So that's the value of that networking. Absolutely. Just being in the room with your peers. And when you're in the trenches every day, fighting whatever battle you're fighting, And then you go to a conference, whether it be virtual or in person, you find out other people are fighting that battle. There's a real connection that happens and a magic that happens that you can't always get just being in meetings all the time. And it helps you bring a better perspective back to your organization, helps you be a better leader. So I I appreciate the opportunity just to talk to you today. And whether I don't feel like I'm your guest, I feel like we're peers in this and just talking (laughs) through our situation. So I appreciate the invitation to have this conversation.
0: Absolutely. When you mentioned, you know, getting back in person, I guess I should plug the uh, Muse Inspire Conference coming up in May, a little bit different date this year, not on the typical dates, but it's going to be in person. You know, I think there's some Mm -hmm. vaccination rules and some social distancing and, and obviously safety stuff. Have you considered going or sending any of your team members?
1: I have, and I think we should. Uh, you know, obviously, we're looking to MetaTech Expanse. So I want as many of my team members to get to know and meet their colleagues and peers that are on Expanse platforms. So we're going to try to. We're going to look at the budget and and other considerations and see what we can pull off. Again, we're a pretty lean team, so when I take people away from here, we're out here serving uh, our community. So we're going to try to do our best
0: with that. Absolutely. Well, Joel, thanks again. We'll put links in the show notes to all your shout outs and the things that you're into. And don't forget for those listeners that you can still submit your presentations for the Inspire Conference and get a free registration there if your presentation is accepted. So Joel, thanks again for your time and best of luck for you in your next journey. My pleasure. Thanks so
1: much for this invite.
0: Thanks for listening to Muse Views. Don't forget to rate and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast fix. And visit MuseWeb.org for information about Muse.